Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. So I have had a lovely day in my garden today. I have not been at the hall today because my back is still niggling and I'm just going to try and be really boring and sensible and get it fixed. So um, I have been doing a few gentle, gentle tasks in my own garden. But what I've noticed, and I was really trying to video because it was so fast. I hadn't noticed this at all before. We've got my sweet peas in the garden that are flowering really, really well. And there was a honeybee trying to access it to get the pollen and the nectar. Right. And when the bee landed on the um, the landing pl- platform of the sweet pea flower yep. and pushed its face into the sweet pea flower to get at where the nectaries were, the little stigma was, fo- was hidden in the keel petals. And as the bee pushed through, the little stigma popped up and tickled the bee on the bottom. And was, <laughs> yes. And, and, and have you ever noticed that? It was absolutely amazing. I've never noticed it before. And this little bee's bottom, it was actually curled up in a really cute little like, ooh, I'm being tickled on the bottom kind of way. And it was just <laughs> really, really sweet. And I thought, do you know how blooming clever plants are? That's what made me think about they that. They certainly are. And I'll tell you what, one of my favourite groups of plants, the orchids, as everyone knows, has some really, really unusual... Um, pollination mechanisms that mm. are very similar um some of them they're f- the everyone who's seen an orchid will see how complicated the flower looks there are some that are so complicated it's like a little maze that only certain insects can navigate because uh, all the turnings are either right or left and certain insects can only turn right and certainly really? certain insects can only turn left it's amazing Amazing. really Uh, there's 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 loads and i'll tell you what we could probably do two or three podcasts looking at (laughs) pollination mechanisms and why certain flowers are shaped like they are but yeah i've you know i've noticed that with the legumes because sweet peas are Mm. uh, obviously in the legume family that they have these little um they're like popping out anthers aren't they they pop out and then then they'll, they'll strike a certain part of the insect so that when the insect goes to the next flower yeah so exactly the right place for the stigma to pick up the pollen yeah well in this case it was the it was the honeybee's abdomen i won't use bot- i was only joking <laughs> the bottom. i know it's called an abdomen in the thorax i did do entomology at college but but it was it's it tickled its bottom and it's just so cute because it lo- you could see that the bee was looking a little bit kind of like oh what's this so so if anyone in in fingering sees lucy staring at her <laughs> sweet peas for hours on end they'll know that she's just looking at 
Bees bottoms. Bees bottoms being tickled. Yeah. You know, what could be better than that? <laughs> um, but I, I, let's get to the serious nuts and bolts of this podcast, because I saw on Twitter that you have been uh, purchasing gadgets, Mr. Walker, because you are a bit of a gadget man. And uh, you, you've got yourself a little labelling machine, haven't you? I bought myself a labelling machine uh, from a company called Brother, which... I think a lot of people know make good quality labeling machines. They aren't the only mm. company out there. There are others who will <laughs> say that. But uh, I bought this brother labeling machine and it's um, it's labeling machines have um, progressed a little bit in 20 years since I had one of those, uh, the discs with the letters that you have to turn around and punch emboss the label tape. Um, this one is an all singing, dang, uh, dancing digital uh, and it prints the labels. And I tell you what, it's really up to my labeling game because... Um, lots of people will know that I grow mostly at the moment because my garden's still a, a work in progress. They know that I um, grow a lot of plants in containers. So I have something between 100 and 150 containers. And uh, that's a lot of labels. And I'm not the best at keeping my labels um uh, either updating them or, or writing them out. My handwriting is horrendous. Um, you know, doctor's handwriting is... I was going to say you should have been a doctor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so my labelling isn't great, but I'm now getting to the point where things like my Brugmansia collection, my Ginger collection, my um, Pliony collection that uh, I highlighted earlier in the year, uh, when you got 30 to 40 examples and the plants look very similar in their herbaceous stage mm. it can get very difficult when it comes to uh, identifying them especially when you start losing labels so i've made a concerted effort to improve my label game and that was the reason i bought this um uh, this label machine and i tell you what i was spent last night very nerdily typing in all the plants <laughs> i've done the whole of my brugmancy collection i'm just in the middle of doing all the hadikiums um the gingers um and yeah, nerdily doing it last night. And every time I press the button to print, out it would come and I'd make a little noise. Woohoo! It, <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, so it's, you don't have to be apologising these days for being a nerd. Being a nerd or being a geek actually is pretty trendy. So don't you worry about it. Embrace it. What gardener's not a nerd or a geek? You know, we have to be, exactly. don't we, really? Yeah. So are you using this at Stonelands as well? Or is this for your own private garden? At the moment, it's it's for my my own private garden because I just have so many containers. Um, mm. At Stonelands, because um, most of it's beds or trees or shrubs, and we have planting plans already and um i sort of ha already have a catalog or I'm, I'm putting together a digital catalog um for those of, who have been listening to the podcast for a long time you know that me and lucy had uh, a little bit of a, a ribbing of each other about how we produce lists and that lucy <laughs> is a written list girl whereas well, i am a school. i'm a spreadsheet maniac Sp spreadsheet guy yeah so um the good thing about spreadsheets is you can you can do databasing on them so i'm actually in yeah, the middle but the good thing about no 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 the good thing about is that you can cross them off you can cross things off and it's very satisfying you can't cross off a spreadsheet you just have to delete well, it what's yeah, the fun well, there you go you can delete it oh well anyway I'm, I'm just putting together a good <laughs> database of all the plants that are stolen so i don't need so many labels for them although eventually when i start um doing a lot more propagation and we start having a lot of um random twigs and cuttings all festooning the greenhouse i think a bit of a better labeling system might aid me in the long run especially since mm. cuttings and things can sometimes sit there all year um and if you don't have 
and ident- if you don't have something to identify them, who, who can remember a year back towards what they were doing cutting-wise? Do you know, this is, this is something that um, at the hall we're quite good on labelling, but in my own garden, I am, hands up, I am guilty of not labelling things well. I am definitely, definitely uh, an impulse purchaser when it comes to going to plant fairs or horticultural shows. And you guilty, see a gem, guilty. Like, I want that. I really want that. I, I know that's something a bit special. You don't see it all the time. I'm going to buy that. I'll, it sits in a pot for a little while till I've decided where it goes. And then what I do is I plant it out. I very carefully put the label in my potting shed and then I lose it. I don't know where the label's gone. I've got so many things now in my garden. There must be at least, there's at least a dozen things that I've put in there. And I don't specifically know straight away what they are. And that disconcerts me. I do love to know the Latin name of all the stuff that I've got in the garden. And it's just because I've got, I've tried to get a few more niche, unusual things like you, you know, I just want to try have, you know, my mainstream plants, but then also here and there, when someone's walking around your garden, if they're a gardener, they'll look and go, Ooh, that's a yeah, bit special. That, 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 that's what that you want to hear, isn't it? That ooh yeah, from people, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um, I need to sort out my labelling. The way I was going to do it, because I'm not keen on, I think because yours are in pots, maybe it can it can look really nice. But with mine, most of mine are in beds because we've got this light sandy soil and we've got a bed that runs all the way along the south side of my house. I'm managing to get some quite tender stuff in there, which... Um, I would like to draw up a plan, a planting plan, like you say, of the bed itself and then annotate it and keep that somewhere indoors in a folder so I know where stuff is. And then I haven't got to worry about losing the label or the cat or the dog or the husband kicking the label or mowing it up or whatever's (laughs) going to happen. It's all somewhere safe and ready for me to refer to whenever I want to. So that is what I would like to do. Um, And I do remember you were talking about those little label machines when we were very young where you turn the wheel and yeah. you hadn't, you'd mentioned that to me tonight. Do you know what? That I had flashbacks to when I was like three, four years old. Mum and dad used to have those at the nursery and I hadn't thought about it till you mentioned about your labelling machine. Isn't it funny how things trigger memories off? Um, at the hall, we use metal labels. The owners are quite keen for the hall to have a certain look, a certain style. And um, so what we have there is there's a company called Alley Tags and they sell these metal labels in various forms. You can have some that hang... Most of them, they've got holes in the end, so you can hang them on wires. So say, for example, if, if you've got wall-trained fruit or cane fruit or something like that, you can hang the label on the wire. They also then do um, much smaller ones that can be hung around individual shrubs or, for example, I'm thinking here of the roses I was talking about the other day. And then also we've got freestanding labels that work in the kitchen garden. So they're on the leg. You um, and then you put them against the crop and you can see them from the floor up. They stand about a foot high. Um, they're not the cheapest, but they are, they're so permanent, that, which in a way is good when you're trying to record things such as trees and shrubs, plants that have got a good few decades of life to them. But I, I do find for the kitchen garden, they're probably not the, not the most practical thing because I'm trying to grow new varieties. And the way you write on them is you actually get a, you stamp them. We've got a hammer and we've got a set of letters and numbers. So you you emboss essentially the the letter into the label. So it's there forever. You can't undo it once it's made. So um, probably for the kitchen garden, although they look very good, 
because I've, I think maybe the previous head gardener had his standard varieties and he grew them and that worked well. I must admit, I have asked the owner to buy me a few more over the years. He's never said no, but I did look and, and see how much they cost. And I was like, hmm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I don't mean to keep using them and spending your cash, but, but they do, I mean, they do, do look really, really nice. So, so at Stonens, you're saying that, do you actually have, you've got your planting plans. How do you record what you've got at the garden? Yeah, it's, it's interesting at uh, Stonelands. I, I think there's a, there's an opposite sort of feel. And, and this could be the same at a lot of private gardens and they don't really want labels at all because I think mm. that they feel like they impinge the aesthetics, uh, especially for things like the ornamental side of the garden, the borders, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. So generally we have uh, two, 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 two things at Stonelands. We have the original planting plans that the designers uh, did. Uh, now, obviously, mm. that was now it's coming up for eight, nine years ago. So the the plants have moved on. Some things have disappeared. We've added stuff. So I, I don't really up, upgrade the planting plants, although I probably should do that at some point just to give a sense of what's there. But then again, we use the the, the spreadsheets, the digital recording that I'm doing at the moment. I'm off, And I'm finding that really useful because one of the things you can do on that is write notes from each year mm -hmm. so it gives me the chance to write down my observations why I think some things are working and it just reminds me because one of the things you'll find um, that can be different from home is that when you're looking after a really big garden and also you have staff so you're not always the person engaging with certain sections of the garden um you'll find that you will completely forget what you've done year on year to certain sections of the garden. And it's really worth getting into the habit, um, if you're managing a big space, of writing uh, regular notes, w whether you do it digitally or you do it, you know, hand, you know, pen and paper, old school, as we, we should say. Um, <laughs> it is really worth it because you do come to, say, a year later and think, oh, now there was something I was thinking about this section last year and I've completely forgotten mm. what it is. Or uh, when it's very early in the season and actually things like herbaceous beds where there's actually <clears throat> no plants to look at and you're yeah. trying to remember what you were thinking when the plants were in full growth, whether something was too big for a space, whether you were thinking, oh, I really need to split up a few of those clumps, but you can't actually remember which ones. Uh, it's really worth taking notes. And also maybe if you can take photos that you can... Uh, refer back to with those notes to make everything really clear so that you can make I think it allows me to make better decisions going forward on the management of borders so yeah I, I that, that that's sort of what we we do at Stonelands at home it's completely different because it's a collection of plants and this goes right back I think to my mentality because when I was working and training at Kew, which is obviously a botanic garden, and that is all about plant collections, and it's really important there that every plant uh, is is uh, labelled, or they try to make sure every plant is labelled, but at least every plant that is grown at a botanic garden is data-based. So every plant has um, an, what we call an accession number, which refers to uh, a plant on their living, uh, a record on their living collections database. So I think having worked there for four or five years has given me that sort of botanical uh, mentality where I just need to, even if I have, say, three or four of the same plants. Um, so I've got um, a ginger called Hedicium Devon Cream. I, I even have to make sure that each plant is labelled and each one has a separate number so that I know when I come to looking at my notes or my records that I know exactly which one of the 
bunch of four plants wow. are this this is really nerdy stuff but it, <laughs> it just because i grow good. for the long t- yeah because i grow for the long term i think it's quite important i know exactly which plants i'm referring to yeah, it's like you've got a miniature queue in your back garden, haven't you? So uh, It's a bit yeah. like that. And I'm sure people who have that sort of botanical mind, and I know there's a few of us out there, are, are very keen uh, and, and um, making sure the labels are concise, that we've got the right names, mm. uh, all that kind of stuff. So in some ways, yeah. part of the label process is actually researching the plants. So I'll get my Hillier's Manual of Trees and Shrubs out or my um, reference guide to Brugmansia. And it gives me a chance to go really nerdy, look through them. And I find half the time I'm doing a label and then the next 10 minutes, I'm actually reading up about the plant or a similar <laughs> plant or where its parents have come from. And I've, it yeah. becomes a real botanical, uh, like, yeah, a, a nerd fest, <laughs> as it were. Nothing wrong with it. I, you know, I, I do, I know exactly what you're saying. Because as, as I mentioned in the last episode, I made that video about the roses and I did check the names against plant finder and then read up about them on the rose nurseries just to work out what group each of the individual roses was in i found that really really enjoyable so i can see exactly where you're coming from and when i was you mentioned accession numbers and you've reminded me when i was at wisley um we had i was in the advisory department and we had a botany department which was just across the way from us and the botanists would go around as you say, and make and collect herbarium specimens and um, also, as you say, check the accession numbers and make sure they were all logged onto this database. The name of it escapes me now. I think it was, I'm trying to think of the name of the database because we used to refer to it quite a lot. Um, and when I got into looking at the database, because we had training on it to understand how the accessions are made and the, all the different codes for the locations of the garden and the all the details about the plants. Oh my God. God, that mm, was, yeah. it was, um, it was, it, there was so much information there, which I thought was, you know, to, to, for, to, to kind of, um, what's the word? The chronological history of the garden was there in this database and it was continually added to the effort that went into keeping this thing up to date was, was just mind blowing. I had no idea. It's, no it, idea. It's amazing because it doesn't also, it's the same at Kew and lots of other Edinburgh, I'm sure all the botanic gardens, not just in the UK, around the world are similar with their databases. It doesn't just give you a sense of the plants. It also gives you a sense of history because there's a lot of, uh, and also a social context as well, as when certain groups of plants came back, you can see Mm. in a lot of the records when, and these records can go back hundreds of years, you can see when certain areas of the world opened up to exploration and um, say you'll see a whole um, group of Chinese plants suddenly enter the database at certain dates or Mm. um, Californian plants coming in and I I, I really I I do love going through that they may look like just a bunch of Latin words and numbers but to some once you get to know them you can suddenly say that's amazing i did never knew that that plant came in 1833 and was actually mm. collected say by george forrest or one of the one of the really big plant collectors and then yeah. knowing that history behind that plant just gives extra context to that plant itself and it's similar in my in my collection because i record who gives me the plants you know i um I, there's a very generous network of exotic growers in the uk and we tend to send each other 
plants um, when we propagate. So I've just sent a load of gingers out to three people this this week. And I like to think that they'll then remember that I sent them that and that's part of their garden. That gives me a little buzz. But also when I get plants from them, I actually record them on my database to make sure that I know it was from them. And Mm. what I'm hoping is that when I get to the grand old age of 70, I can look back on it and say, oh yeah, I remember... Uh, Dave sent me those thirty years ago, and it's still it's now a, number five ten, it, exactly. whatever it might be. And the, yep. the plant is now what thirty feet high, a big tree, and I remember having it as a seedling. So in some yeah. ways, yeah. labeling does sound like a boring subject to have as a uh, just as a subject, but actually, when you look behind it and you look behind the uh, the the way we do it, it's I think it's. I think it's really exciting. I think it adds a sense of context to your plants. They're yeah. not just they they're not, they're not just plants, although we grow them for plants and flowers. That it gives you a sense a bit more. I don't know. It fleshes them out a little bit more. Yeah, it it builds their personality and their history and their story, and it gives them place in the garden. And you understand all. Like you say a lot about them, and you like um, what I've found at the hall is that we we don't have like I say sort of lists of plants we do have the occasional planting plan that i've come across we've got some for the the um the shrub rose border we've got the herbaceous border design and then we've also got the front of the house which there's lots of cistus and uh, wisteria and and lovely plants at the front of the house and whenever they were designed those bits initially decades ago we've got the initial plans for those and i've stumbled across i was clearing out a drawer at the end of last summer i stumbled across one that i'd not seen before and I just loved pouring over it. It was it was written in this most beautiful scrolly writing, and a lot of you could tell that it was obviously things had evolved since this plan was made because I looked at it and I thought, well, there's nothing like that now. But initially, that's what the idea was, and it was so interesting to see that was what the designer was trying to visualize and put together, and it made me understand the borders more. Thinking, right, that was their vision. This is what we've got now. And you can see how over the decades things had moved around and died here and there and things have been replanted and stocked up with, with that weren't really matching the initial vision of the plan. But yeah, really, really, um, like I say, it's nice to, to see the history of where you're working. It really does add something to it. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.